So here's what we want to do today is I want to create a framework in which you and I are able to have a conversation over the next few weeks. Now, if you come from a fairly conservative background, you're not unused to having these elephant-in-the-room conversations. In fact, there are some places that this is standard fare, and these types of issues are brought up regularly, but they're brought up in sometimes a, a really a barraging way. They can almost be destructive rather than helpful. We want to be helpful, and at some point we have to recognize that as Christians, if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, we have to engage what's happening in the world, but we have to do so in an informed way, and in a way that also demonstrates the gospel in our actions. And many times when we talk about some of these things, The gospel is nowhere to be seen because what we have chosen to take on ourselves is a role of judge. What we want to do is look in someone else's life and be able to say, look what's wrong with you. And the reason we love to do that is because as long as I'm doing that, I'm taking my eyes off of me. It is much easier to point out the fault in someone else's life than to admit the fault in our own. Because when we begin admitting our own faults, it radically changes the way we view the world. It's crucially important that we grasp that concept. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the doctrine of man and human nature. What is human nature? What does it look like? And how did it become what it's become? And and as we do that, we learned that in the garden that Adam and Eve chose to eat from the, tr- the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, do you remember what that meant? What were they destined for and all of humanity destined for from that moment on? Do you remember? Was it the ability to see God's view of good and evil? You're whispering, but I, nobody else can hear you. What were you saying? Okay, no. What's the... Okay, all right. We got, we need to do some jumping jacks. I think this morning everybody's a little relaxed. Sun's out. All right. If you remember, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What they did not gain was God's perspective of good and evil. Had that been the case, nothing would have changed. They would have seen what was good as good. They would have seen what was evil as evil. And therefore, they would have chosen likely to follow in the path of good if they saw things the way God saw them. Just like if I saw your life circumstances the way you see them, I would probably make similar choices to the choices that you are making. Instead, what happened was not that they were able to see how God views good and evil. Instead, they had the ability to choose for themselves what they believe is good and evil. That's the beginning of sin in the world. That is what all of us suffer from. When we have conversations and we disagree, it's because we are seeing things from different perspectives. And whenever we see things from different perspectives, we are going to have different values placed on what we perceive as good and what we perceive as not good. Now, the overall message that you are receiving right now is that as a Christian, you should not have an opinion on these things. If we are to love and be people of grace, we will not share an opinion because opinions hurt people. But whenever we aren't clear on what Scripture teaches us, then we are not just not hurting people. We are denying them the truth that is meant to set them free. So... 
Our goal, and I'm going to share a little more about how this framework is going to work. Our goal is that we are able to go beyond just talking about the issue in a way that is judgmental. The elephant in the room for us, the definition that we're going to be using are those things that have a negative impact that no one wants to talk about. They have a negative impact on others. Now, you know what an elephant in the room issue is. It's it's the family member that comes over and you know that he's, he or she is abusing other family members in the home, yet no one wants to talk about it because it's uncomfortable and it will change the dynamic. Everyone just wants to keep quiet and let it happen. The elephant in the room is a person that comes in and they're willing to talk about everybody else's problems while their own glaring problems are right there in front of them and they won't do anything to deal with their own issues. Those are elephant in the room issues for the church as the church continues to come under fire because we believe things that are different and we believe what is good is different from what the rest of the world says is good. We have come under great fire and so many Christians have chosen not to say anything. And because many of us want to be people who demonstrate the gospel well, we want to demonstrate what it means to love people. We want to demonstrate what it means to care for people well. and We, we want people to truly hear and know the gospel. We have chosen just to kind of dial it back because if I offend somebody, what may happen is I may actually push them away from the gospel. But the truth is, if you are a person who has not found Jesus Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit's not active in your life, you are choosing Between what you think is good and evil. That is what original sin is. To choose for ourselves. And they will never find what God has said is truly good. And will set people free. If someone who is in the know doesn't tell them. In other words, as scripture puts it. How will they know if no one tells them? Now you and I are in a little bit of a juggling act. In that while we do this. Finding the place of grace. Is a place that is often sacrificed for truth. Yet as we read through Jesus' life, as he was the example of how do we live this out in this world, we find that Jesus always exercised grace. In fact, in the way that he presented truth, truth was always presented with grace, with all except one group of people. Those who claimed to be strict adherents and followers of God. To those, there was less grace because they should know better. For some of us in the room, we're in that place where we should know better. And so I hope that as we talk through these things, it will open up some conversations in your home. It will open up some things that you are able to continue talking about later. Today, what I'm going to do is an apologetic. An apologetic is somewhat of an explanation, a rationale, a reasoning on why we should talk about these things that many Christians do not. And why some of you sitting in this room will cringe as the topics come up. Topics like purity. Topics about politics. Topics about abortion. Topics about alternative lifestyles. As those come up, there's going to be something within you that will likely cringe. And there will likely be a fear because you've heard some bad example about someone just slam blasting somebody that is in one of these areas of sin. And you fear that that is what's going to happen. So I'm going to try to give an apologetic this morning about why we need to do this, how we're going to do this, and ultimately an apologetic that says that the idea that you and I should not be judging what's going on in the world is absolutely false. 
Now, if you were with us when we did a, my Brother's Keeper series a while back, you'll hear kind of a similar slant to what I'm going to talk about. But even when we did that series, it was amazing how many little ghost posts would pop up about how we shouldn't judge people. And I'm going to just tell you straight up, as an elephant in the room, that if we are followers of Jesus, we care about these things. If we are followers of Jesus, we don't sit silently on the things that kill others. If your child is thinking about taking drugs, you don't look at them and go, you know, it's just not my place to say anything. You know the path that they're headed down is dangerous and destructive, and you will want to stop them. You know when you have a child that is beginning to explore sexuality in a way that you know is inappropriate, you don't just go, you know, they've got to find their own way. It's just not my place to speak into their life on this. You don't do that. You look at your child and you say, I care about you and I want you to walk in the way that is healthy in life. And yet many of us say, I'm just offering grace by not saying anything and letting you do whatever you want. And what we are doing is we are allowing that person to walk headfirst into destruction while we sit back patting ourselves on the back saying how loving we are while we watch them die. That is what we do. That is what we don't want to say. But that is what is happening. You wouldn't do it with your best friends. You wouldn't do it with your family. You wouldn't do it with your neighbor that you care about. But we do it with people we see all the time. So the elephant in the room conversation is not one that we get to elect to have. It's a conversation that Jesus says, this is what it means to follow me. And yet, because we have fallen into sin from that original sin, our minds, we cannot comprehend the things of God like we once could. And instead, we have imposed our own value system on everything in the world. And once we have done that, It takes someone who knows the truth to help save us from that. So today I just want to talk about why don't we want to talk about these things. Let me share four goals we're going to have for every week of this series. Goal number one, we want to talk about what is the issue? What are the basics of the issue? Number two, what does the Bible say about the issue? Because it really doesn't matter what my opinion is. Really all that matters is what God has said and has given us in his word. What does the Bible say about this? Goal number three is that if a person is struggling in this area, how can they be restored? Because God's desire for every person is to be restored to what is good. That is his desire. And number four, how should we, and this is going to be the clincher for some of us, because you may not have struggled with any of the things that we're going to talk about, although you may have. But number four is how should we as a church respond How do we bring love and grace into a conversation that feels anything but? And while I may not be able to answer all of these perfectly, I hope that is what we end up with at the end of the day. Two passages that are going to guide us through this series, kind of give us the motivation for doing this kind of thing, is Proverbs 16.25. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Can anyone give a personal testimony to that? If you're an adult, I'm guessing all of us could. I can tell you I have walked head forward into something I knew was good only to find out, oh man, I was so wrong. How many of us would turn back time if we could? And we would change those things. The second passage that has gripped me from the very moment I became a believer is this. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Yet, let me just break from here. But that is what all of us who love Jesus want for everyone, right? We want everyone to know Jesus. We want everyone to be saved. We want everybody to be healthy. We want everyone to cast off the chains of restraint that sin puts on us. That's what we want because we know, we've experienced ourselves, this is what living is. And not only now, but what is to come. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How terrible would it be to be a part of a church community your entire life? that believed grace meant we keep our mouths silent on sensitive subjects, only to find out you never truly knew who Christ was because no one ever really shared it with you. Our goal is that we are able to let people see what is true and see what is real. Those who know the truth should not be silent, but the reason that many of us are silent is because we are scared to death we will be accused of judging others. I can tell you of my top 10 things that I hate to do in life, one is bringing up the faults of others. The only time it feels good to bring up the faults of others is when it allows me to avoid the own faults that are staring me in the face. The only time it feels good. None of us like this. If you do like this, you have big issues (laughs) that I hope we'll address this morning. Nobody likes to do that that knows Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the things that you will eventually come to the place of, I'm not saying on day one, but you will come to the place where you will not be able to ignore accountability. Accountability doesn't feel good to anyone. No one enters into a conversation where someone they care about, they believe in, and they trust begins to hold them accountability. Those feelings like you just won tickets to your favorite concert do not surface in those conversations. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Come on. Bring it. Tell me. Oh, I, ooh, this is going to be a good day. Those don't happen. When someone holds me accountable, I don't go, yeah, oh, I'm just, wait, I've got to take notes. This, is, this feels wonderful. That doesn't happen. Accountability tells us that the way that I have valued what is good and what is evil does not line up with what is truly good and evil, and I need to adjust myself. That never feels good. Yet we know As followers of Jesus, it's necessary. It was necessary for the apostles. It was necessary for those first believers. It's necessary for us today. Yet how awful would it be if we were subjective in how we held people accountable? We just made up stuff because we just didn't like you. Or maybe God's blessing you and we're jealous because we don't feel like God's blessing us. And so we come up with reasons why you should be pulled back down. How awful would that be in the life that we live? As a follower of Jesus, we do not ignore accountability. Matthew 16, this is what Jesus told his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. I'm going to tell you that throughout this series, we're going to each have to deny ourselves. (laughs) Because some of these things don't feel good. 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. For me, one of the greatest nightmares would be that at the end of the day, you stand before Christ in your final judgment, and we realize we were never truly interested in denying ourselves, picking up our cross, or following him. What he's saying here is what would we each do if we reached that moment? And this reality we've created for ourselves is swept away. And the true reality of what really is enters in and it, it's too late for us to do anything. What would we do? What would we bargain? What would we do to get our soul back to where it should have been at that moment? There will come a time when we no longer can live in the reality that you and I want to live in. Now, we each have our own realities, right? We make our own realities every day. We decide what we need to do, how we need to act, how we're right in the way we did act, how they were wrong in the way they acted. We do that every day. We frame conversations and arguments, and we frame it in a way that makes us look good and makes others look bad, even though in the back of our minds we tell ourselves, I'm really wrong here. I just don't really want to be wrong. And then along the way come the reality that what we have created for ourselves isn't true and it falls apart and the consequences enter in. So you can ignore your spouse over and over and over again. And you can create the reality that everything's fine until they break your reality. You can choose your reality at work that you're just going to sit around and let everybody else do stuff and you're going to sit around and not. And your reality is everything's fine until your boss says you're no longer employed here and then that reality comes crashing down. We all create realities. Some of us create more intricate realities than others. But there will be a time when these realities that we've tried to create for ourselves, they won't work. What I have found is whenever I try to create a reality in which I feel better about myself, and if it's not true, it always falls apart. And yet, when I follow the reality that God created, life is always better. Whenever I finally come to the point of saying it's not about what I choose as good or evil, it's about what God chooses as good or evil... And I will choose in the path of good. It's always better. There's peace there. There's hope there. There's healing there. And there is not condemnation there. But for some of us, this is a hard place to get to. When we start talking about being judgmental, we all have different experiences. Some of you may already feel judged this morning. Some of you are scared to death that these types of things, all they become are judgment fests. I will tell you there are only two types of biblical judgment that happen in Scripture. The first one is a type of earthly judgment. An earthly judgment is when you have the opportunity to change, to be, have a course correction. Judgment in this sense is for you to see that there are consequences for choosing your own way of good and evil versus God's way of good and evil. And therefore, you are judged with the goal to restore, to put you on a path of health. 
The other type of judgment we read about in Scripture, the only other type that there is, is the final judgment. That is the time that we all stand before God. Those who know Christ will be covered in His blood. Those who know Him will be forgiven of their sins. Those who have rejected will be judged according to their actions. As Christians, we are thankful we are not in that group. I do not want to be judged for my actions. The only way I know that to be true is I have seen what God has said is true. Before I knew Christ, I didn't care what anybody else said was true. What I cared was what I thought was true. And as I've said before, those realities begin to fall apart. The purpose of final judgment is to give a final account for the choices we made. And the truth is that none of us are immune. None of us. But the purpose of earthly judgment, that's what we are talking about. We have no role in final judgment other than to be judged ourselves. But earthly judgment, you have a part of. Earthly judgment is that place where you and I look around and we're able to evaluate through the Holy Spirit what is leading to health and what is leading to death and helping people move towards health. That's what earthly judgment is. It's not the kind of judgment that says, I'm going to pick you apart based on whatever is wrong with you, and I'm going to let everybody know what's wrong with you, and I'm going to make sure you know how bad your thing really is. That's what we think of as judgment. That is not what earthly judgment in Scripture is. The purpose of earthly judgment is correction. I want you to know, and many of you, if you've been with us for a while, you know this to be true. There's a difference between judging believers... And judging unbelievers. There's a difference. We can read about that in 1 Corinthians 5. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Many people have taken this verse. They've stopped there and they have read this. And therefore, this is why you see boycotts. This is why you see people saying, you know what? That's a bad sexual thing. And so I will have nothing to do with you. And I want you to know I'm having nothing to do with you because God told me not to have anything to do with you. Paul wrote a letter saying something similar, and that is what they heard. And so Paul, in this letter, had to correct them. And in his correction, he said, verse 10, Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, Since then, you would need to go out of the world. In other words, if you're not going to associate with anybody that has any sin in your life, you can't associate with anybody. I never meant for you to say, distance yourself and push them apart and label them and put them in a box and shove them in the corner. Because if you did that, there'd be nobody left. Verse 11 says, but now I am writing to you to, excuse me, but now I am writing to you not to associate with, with anyone who bears the name of brother. He's just talking about other Christians. The only people that would bear the name of brother would be other Christians. What I'm telling you is, if there's someone who says that they're a Christian, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And this is where Paul really gets specific to clear up this misunderstanding. For what have I to do with judging outsiders what is my role in judging outsiders is not those inside the church whom you are to judge god judges those outside purge the evil person from among you you see 
When a person claims to know the truth and that they have now seen the world as God sees it, the Holy Spirit is living inside of them and they have taken it upon themselves to share the gospel with the rest of the world and yet they ignore the teachings of Jesus. They have chosen a path back towards destruction. And he says, bring them back. Our goal is correction. Our goal is to get people moving in the same direction. And so Paul says, you have no role. And for the church, this is why it is so crucial the way we respond to some of these issues. It's so crucial. Facebook is not the place for us to respond to these issues. Because you cannot guarantee that the only people reading your post are other Christians. So when we put them on Facebook, what we end up doing is we end up condemning a group of people that we have no authority in which to judge, nor have they ever said they believe in anything that we believe in. Whenever we have these conversations, this week I I overheard two, three conversations. I overheard another one this morning. Three conversations in a public place about Christian things that had nothing to do except condemning other people. I knew it because they were talking about their church. Some of them were upset with a pastor. Some of them were upset with people that were attending their church. And they were very openly and broadcasting it to everyone. And I heard it. And I'm not there to listen to other people's conversations. I got enough on my plate. And I heard it. I am more sensitive, probably. If you say church or Jesus or something like that, I perk up. But guess what? So does everybody else. We have no role here. It's not our role to declare to a government who is bent on their own goals how terrible they are and they're going to hell. That's not our role. It's not our role to take a person who has fallen into an alternative lifestyle that leads to destruction. It's not our place to make them feel terrible about themselves. We're not their judge and quite honestly we have enough sin in our own lives to deal with. But we do have a role with other people saying they want to follow Jesus. That's why we're having these conversations is because we assume that most, if not all of you, have come to a place of saying, I'm at least curious about Jesus. Our goal is not that we want to condemn. Our goal is that we want to win other people to Christ. That's our goal. We have no other mission in this world. And to let other people see the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our mission. John 12 says, and Jesus cried out and he said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Interesting. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I want you to understand that Jesus continually passed this ministry on to us. Verse 47 says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. That's not our role. But even Jesus himself says, I'm not coming here in order to judge you. I'm coming here to give you an opportunity. Ultimately, you'll have to choose whether you do that. If you choose to reject the opportunity, then you will be judged. But it is not by us. We don't have that role. I also want you to know that, and I've learned this from personal experience, 
that everyone will fail. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. You too, huh? <laughs> everyone will fail. And you're going to, guess what? You're going to fail every stage of your life at some point. There's never been a believer that has said, I don't fail. There are people who aren't believers who say they don't fail, but there's never been a believer who has said, I don't, I don't fail. In fact, one of the ways that we become so open to giving grace to people who are caught in some kind of terrible thing, the reason we give grace is because we recognize how important grace has been in our own lives. Because everyone will fail. Luke chapter 22, even who was considered the greatest of the apostles, not only would he fail, it was prophesied he would fail, and an opportunity was given to him even before he chose to fail. So talk about grace. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fall. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, what's most important here, that he would deny Christ or that Jesus gave him a calling even after he failed? When you turn again, this is what Christian judgment is. The goal to restore, not to condemn. The goal to lift up, not to push down. The goal to heal, not to hurt. Though when we are confronted with our own issues, it hurts, doesn't it? That's why we sometimes choose just not to say anything because it hurts everyone involved. When you see someone walking into something in life that is destructive, it is typically not glee that you feel at confronting it. It is sorrow. It's sorrow because you know that there's a high likelihood that they will reject you out of the pain that they feel because they will feel that you have hurt them. That is original sin. To choose good and evil based on our own choices and our own perspectives if we all had the same platform, we all had the same value system, this wouldn't be an issue, would it? I would never have to talk to my kids or give consequences to my kids for their actions if they saw, they saw everything the way I saw it. They wouldn't have to. But as you grow, you have to learn what it means to do what is good and what is right. We're not born with that, although I wish we were. If your friend whom you are seeing going down a path of destruction, I remember when I was in seminary, Deidre and I had two really close friends we did just a lot with. And, I mean, he and I just had a blast. And uh, just, we were just as close as close could be. We were freshly married. We were only married about six months before we moved to go to school. And I remember just this couple was so much fun to do stuff with. We were at their house. They were at our house. And somewhere along that first year of school, our friend, the, the wife in the relationship, chose to have an affair with another seminary student. And the next year that we walked through with them were 
perhaps the most painful year of our lives because we watched two people struggle to hurt. And I remember one of my roles was when I was faced with the reality that this was true and my friend only thought that it was true to go to my friend and say, your wife is having an affair. It was the most painful moment I have ever had with another friend because I've not had to have that moment with any other friends. If I do, it will be again another painful moment. It doesn't feel good. What was worse than that, though, was going to his wife, also our friend, to say, this is going to be destructive. This is going to hurt you. It's hurting your husband. It's hurting you. And it's going to hurt this person that you're in a relationship with. And the reason it was so painful is because they did not look at me and go, thank you, Mark. You were such a good friend. That is not how they responded, as you might imagine. It's painful, right? It's painful. Now, if we had the same value system, that would never have happened. The reason it did happen is because we, because of eating from the tree of the fruit of good and evil, have each chosen what is good and what is not good. For her, she chose what is good is for me to be with someone who makes me feel different than my husband. That is good. And yet, most, if not all of us in the room would say, that is not good. That is not good. Some of you know what that pain feels like. Some of you have been the friend who confronts. Some of you have perhaps been in the relationship that was confronted. There's so much pain in this world. The role of the church should not be to increase the pain, but instead help give opportunities for healing. Yet if we're silent, we are not giving opportunities for healing. If we are silent, we are just enabling it to continue. As we look at Peter's life, we would also find that this was not the last time that Peter learned his lesson. Later, Paul and Peter would have an encounter in which Paul would get in Peter's face and say, you have rejected the things that our Savior taught us. Because he began to take on the characteristic of the Pharisees. And Peter had to, in that moment, recognize, Paul, you were right. He had to change. It's one of the only times that we find, and Paul is usually at the center of all of them, but it's one of the only times that we find one disciple holding accountable another. (laughs) But his goal was not to hurt Peter or to push him down, but to restore him because there was much work to be done in the world as there is today. Everyone's going to fail. If Jesus would look at someone who would betray him in the eye and say, once you have returned, this is your ministry. How much more can we do that for others? Because grace leads to healing, not to condemnation. So how do we do this? That's the issue. The issue is judging. Should we? Should we not? It's a complicated question, right? Yes, we should in some ways, but judging not in the ways that people assume judgment should happen. But we should not judge those who are not believers because that is not our place. So how do we deal with this if this is where we're at? I'll tell you that our first concerns are always, 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 always our own issues. Our first concern are always our own issues, right? You deal with your issues before you help somebody deal with theirs. You probably all know the passage, Matthew chapter 7. It says, judge not 
that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So the issue here is, is if I'm coming to you and I have yet to deal with any of my own junk and I'm trying to point out your junk and tell you you need to deal with yours, I'm actually hurting you, not helping you. Now here's why, because whenever I have a law coming out of my eye, I am immune to what God is wanting to do in this situation. I can't see it. I certainly can't lead someone to their own place of health. There are many times that while something may need to be addressed, we may not be the ones who need to address it. For some of us, that's easy because we're introverted anyways and we're not even going to talk, much less bring it up. And for some, you know, I, gotta, I just got to say it. I want to stop myself from saying it. I can't stop myself from saying it. I got to say it. Your personality is driven to get right in the middle of everything. And in those moments... Those are the times where the Holy Spirit must speak to us. But we cannot hear Him if the log is in our eye because we cannot see clearly. But I have found that when there is a log in my eye, I like looking for the speck in yours because it helps me ignore the log. Again, the goal of earthly judgment is not condemnation. We have no role in that. The goal is restoration. And so first, we need to be restored before we can help anyone else to be restored. Let me wrap up with this. There are only three types of people who should not judge. All right? If you're you're looking for an out, I'm wanting you to know there are only three types of people who should not judge. Number one is an unbeliever. But they don't even want to. Not a problem, right? They shouldn't judge, but they don't even want to. Number two is a believer who has a log in their eye. They have sin, unconfessed sin in their own life they need to deal with first. You have no role to help lead others to restoration when you're blind yourself. But number three is a believer who notices sin in an unbeliever. Now, this is where we have failed as a church. I don't mean journey. I mean the church at large. I think we've done okay in this. I'm not saying we don't fail. But we have no role to judge unbelievers. So even some of the issues that we're going to talk about over these next few weeks, we have no purpose here in which to cast judgment on a a part of our population who does not even want to know Christ. That is God's responsibility, not ours. And so if you, we go through any of these issues over these next few weeks and someone comes to mind and you're going to take a stand because you want to help restore them and they're not a believer... You don't need to bring it up. They're not a believer. See, there's a difference. There's a huge difference. And the difference here is not that we get to give each other a hard time. The difference is is we love each other. We want what's best for each other. And we all need help to see the world the way God sees it. None of us is able to do that on our own. 
So we as a church have to come to the place that we recognize we have a role to help each other follow his ways. I'm not saying that if someone comes up and says, Mark, man, I, I just got to tell you, I think you got a blind spot. I think you got an issue going on that you need to deal with. I'm not telling you. I'm going to go, yeah, but tell me. Bring it. Come on. Hey, wait, can we go get coffee? And I would really like to just hear more about this. I'm not saying that's how I would respond. I'm not saying that's how anybody else would respond, although there are a few people I know that they do respond that way. I'm not going to say it's going to feel good. However, rather than me looking at you and getting angry with you, I should recognize if you have been loving me all up to this point that you want what's best for me. And you want to help me. See, Jesus describes sin not as that thing that feels good that's going to send us to hell. He describes sin as a shackle that will enslave you and harm you. So at some point, we have got to raise the level of the conversation above judge not or judge or whatever. We've got to raise the conversation to a higher standard. Because we still do not see as God sees. There is one judge and one judge alone. That is God himself. Yet we have a place to help each other. We have a place to help each other. True follower of Jesus does not like accountability, but they do not reject it. Let me just one last caveat for those that are easily empowered to go have these conversations. You may not be the best person to have this conversation with somebody. Many times it's the Holy Spirit that has to urge us and push us to have these conversations. If you do not have a relationship with them in which you have been loving them and giving them grace for a period of time that they have recognized that, and yet you know someone else who has, they are the better option to have the conversation, not me. Even within our church community, if a conversation needs to be had, there are those that have stronger relationships than me that should have that conversation and not me, even though historically the pastor has been the one who's supposed to do that. The reason that they're sometimes not, we're not the right person is because our goal, again, is to lead to restoration. And if it's perceived as anything other than that, it will break down completely. Many people have left the church out of an attempt at accountability. All of this stuff I'm sharing with you is just a framework, an apologetic. It's a way to view the way we have these conversations. It's normal when the world rejects what Jesus says is good. It is normal when the world says the opposite to get angry. It's normal. That's part of the human nature. When someone disagrees with us, we get angry. I mean, it just happens because we ultimately want everybody to agree with us. It's part of that human nature that we need Christ to redeem us from. It's normal to get angry, yet when we respond in anger, we do not spread the gospel to a hurting world. Ultimately, what our goal is, is to lead people to know Christ. There are also sometimes that the Holy Spirit is the only one that can have this conversation with someone. And these are very difficult times to assess. As you grow in maturity, this all becomes easier because the Holy Spirit, you become more in tune with what he is saying. You, 
you gain more wisdom, more discernment through the way the Holy Spirit speaks to you in your life. And so this happens more and more as you mature as a believer. But there are times that only the Holy Spirit can have this conversation. And ultimately what we know is that the Holy Spirit is the only one who can change a heart. It's the only one that can change a heart. I'm not going to do it. I I cannot phrase it in such a way that you're going to just change everything about your life. Only the Holy Spirit can change everything about our lives. But we can work with Him. And it's important that we agree through Scripture what God says is good. Because when we don't do that, the church changes to something what Jesus said was not good. Last couple of things I wanted to leave with you. God instructed his followers to help each other follow his ways. I think it's already been up. God instructed his followers to help each other. That's one of the ways we love each other. That's one of the ways we carry each other's burdens. It's a very lonely place to be a Christian without anybody to help you carry your burdens. And finally, for those last holdouts that think I have just lost my mind, which I realize there are plenty of reasons why I probably have, but I feel pretty confident in what I'm sharing with you this morning. Let me reframe the way that you see grace just for a moment. Many of us believe that we are issuing grace when we ignore the things, the pain that sin is causing. It's better to let them continue in their sin and experience that pain than experience the pain of me pointing it out to them. That somehow that is more graceful. Whoever you care about most in this world, apart from God, whoever that is, spouse, a child, maybe you can't come to one, maybe it's a group of people. Put those in your mind. See them barreling towards pain. Is it grace to let them go there? No, it's not. It's not grace to let them go there. When we talk about grace, grace is about healing and restoration. We have an opportunity to help people escape that pain. We have to know what Scripture says. Today's the only day that this series is going to have a sermon quite like this. Again, I just want to lay a framework that you and I need to have these conversations. We need to be very careful about how we talk about these out in public. This is not a Facebook conversation. This is not something that we just throw out on Twitter or put a a meme on Instagram. Those are the times that we have to allow God's grace to go through us and to recognize that there are some that we should have this conversation with, but not everybody. Some of us struggle that... The upcoming elections are going to change what our world sees as good and bad, right and wrong. Well, it will. And guess what? It has been doing that from the beginning. This is why you and I don't, we're not from this world. We operate differently. So I pray that what we will do through these talks together is that we will be able to recognize we are trying to help one another. We are coming to God's word and we are looking and see what God says is good and adopting that for ourselves. And we are sharing grace in the way that we do it. Along the way, 
I have found for those that I am most responsive, that hold me accountable or judge me based on my actions, I am most responsive for those that have loved me long before they tried to hold me accountable. Still, let our greatest attribute be of love. But let us not ignore the pain that others are willingly walking into. Let us help where we can and leave to God what only God can do. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I know this is such a difficult, difficult thing for, uh, for us. Uh, I know that we struggle with these, uh, not only these topics, but how do we address them? And how are we showing grace and love in the midst of them? You sent your son to die for us and went through terrible atrocities so that we could be adopted as your children. You have invited us to be in your family and to be rescued from our sin for all of eternity in heaven. I pray that we would be a people that would be able to share that with others, not that we condemn because we have no place to condemn others, but we have a place to lead people to health and to escape the chains of bondage. I pray these next few weeks as we talk through some very difficult subjects, God, that you would give us a heart to receive them in the way that you would want us to. I pray for all those that will be speaking, myself and others, that we will share in a way that gives you honor and that demonstrates your love and your grace to your people. Father, I pray that we would receive these things in a way that is true and right, that your spirit would be engaging in us so that we are not just listening with our ears and our own reason, but we are listening through you. And Father, I pray that if we have an opportunity to share truth with others, we will do it in such a way that we can win them through your love and your grace, through your mercy, to know you and to escape the bondage of sin. Help us in this room with logs in our eyes to deal with those logs. Father, help us to love well, even in times that we love through accountability. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.